Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to discuss Liverpool's 4-1 defeat at Manchester City. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So this was a game that actually started pretty well for Liverpool with Mohamed Salah giving them the lead in the 17th minute. But 10 minutes later, Julian Alvarez stepping into the team for Erling Haaland, got the equaliser for Man City. And then really seconds after the restart for the second half, Kevin De Bruyne gives Man City the lead. By the 53rd minute, it's 3-1. And then with 15 minutes to go, Jack Grealish gets Man City's fourth and really makes the scoreline pretty brutal indeed. So I'm joined by Chris, and we're going to start with our three-word match reviews. Um, And Chris, I'd also like to ask you whether you think that is one of the poorest displays, and, and not only this season, but I suppose across the last few years, across the Klopp tenure, across, I suppose, recent Liverpool history. I mean, it, it's got to be up there in terms of how bad that was. Brutal was the word for it, really. I said after the game on Twitter, the second half was as brutal as it got. Um, <clears throat> my three words that I've gone for is chasm of quality, because I just think by full time, you really did see where both sides are at right now. Um I heard Dan on uh, the Redmen TV saying, you know, the first half Liverpool were fully involved and and to an extent they were. I think um, the goal somewhat came against the run of play from Salah, but we all knew Liverpool were going to be playing on the counter-attack of the Etihad. And they did so to maximum effect early on. Um, could have been 2-0, of course, and maybe that was a turning point, uh, perhaps. Um, and then when Alvarez equalised, it was... It was something City had been threatening. It was absolutely something City had been threatening, but you still, but you still sense Liverpool had a part to play in the game. And just to echo what Dan said, really, that from the second Kevin De Bruyne tapped it in, I never had a sense Liverpool were going to get back into the game. Um, bystanders is 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 probably the word for the rest of the second half. Um, I think. In terms of reacting to how, in terms of the poorest display, I think for me, less poor, more frustrating in that there was there were no punches thrown in that second half for me. Um, and we've seen it a lot this season. When Liverpool go behind, they struggle to find a way to get back into the game, which when they took the lead, they've got a very good record of going ahead this season. So you kind of hope that would maybe even itself out. But... There were, there were no punches thrown. Um, it was really, really tough, difficult to watch that second half. Um, but you know, the, the the people we are, the the support that we show, it's one of them that <clears throat> you have kind of got to just stomach it and just fight the urge to turn the TV mm-hmm. off. Really, um, you know, the whole th- you know, through thick and thin and everything. Um, and it was a horrible second half. Because especially when you hear the, the chant, the chanting of the "Ole Ole Ole," and it just emphasised the, the difference in quality. As I said, the, the chasm in quality, and um, yes, it was a very very tough evening. And I, I saw a tweet yesterday as well. Um, sorry, uh, 
sorry to go on Friday rather, because that was still March, saying that, you, that the United 7-0 was in the same month. Which <laughs> To say the United 7-0 was just a matter of weeks ago, if it feels like it was a season or two back. Well, let me clarify what, I'm, what I mean when I, I talk about the poorest games. I mean, this is Man City away. This is arguably the toughest fixture in the entire division when you consider the form that City have been in uh, recently. But it was the manner in which Liverpool threw the towel in in the second half. And that's why my three-head match review is um, simply we gave up because we did. And I don't know if it was after that De Bruyne goal. I don't know if it was after the Gundogan goal. Um, but we did. And it was... A reminder for me of when Arsenal used to go to the Etihad, when Chelsea, I think happened to them a couple of times, they went there and they just got absolutely battered. You know, they conceded about five goals. Um, and it's just a complete and utter mismatch. Um, you know, you look at these teams have been producing these kind of epic battles and, and been really closely matched for years. But, you know, the the gulf that, that has emerged within a short space of time is... Is incredible, and Liverpool became kind of the plaything of City. And you know, you mentioned there about you know the the edge turn of TV. I've obviously, like you say, we're never going to do that, but never have I sort of <laughs> wanted to, a game to end more. Really, you know, even at three one, it, it was weird. You know, technically you still have a chance of coming back, but and you, you just kind of still have the desire for, for for the game to finish. That that was the nature of it. That was the the control City exerted. The the, the pace the game was being played that, you know, even when the substitutes came on, there didn't seem to be any desire from them. You know, the, the lack of kind of a fight was permeating the squad. And, and City can make you look like that with their ability to manage a game. But the whole, the whole afternoon, really, it just felt, I mean, especially obviously second half, but it just felt as if um, there was kind of no belief there at all that, that they could do something. And, you know, we've seen in previous years, we've gone to the Etihad and, and, and look nervous, look jittery. That you know, I'd much rather nerves than, than what we saw yesterday because you know that 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 was really tantamount to, to throwing the towel in. And I kind of know how those fan bases used to get humbled by City year on year fail now. Well, the kind of way to sum it up as well: a year ago, Liverpool and City played out a Premier League classic mm. at the Etihad, and Liverpool went toe to toe with City. And came away with the two, obviously the two-two draw. It wasn't enough in the end to 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 claim the, the to, to claim the title. But in the space of a year, you've just seen the 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 way the two sides have gone. And I know Liverpool, of course, beating City one 0 at Anfield. But this so far into the season, because back then, look, anything could have happened. But obviously, it just didn't materialise in terms of a, a significant run. But Yesterday, if it felt deeper than just a defeat in many aspects, and you never ever ever see Jurgen Klopp mentioning his players, I uh, or very mm. rarely at the end. But there were two particular quotes that stuck out for me. The first of which was when he tongue in cheek thanked Manchester City for only scoring four goals. Because he pretty much said if they were greedy, you know, we'll be talking six, seven, eight if, if, if they wanted it. Um, and then for him to say that there were players that he didn't, he didn't know where they were at 
in terms of whether that was mentally, whether that was physically or whatever, that felt like boiling over frustration has been felt. I mean, he came into the game, didn't he, saying about how he needed the break, really, in terms mm-hmm. of just recharging before it. But for him to come out and say that, when he is normally so level-headed, especially when it comes to his own squad, mm-hmm. um, I just thought that was a bit significant, really. Yeah, I think there was a, a quote about how there was four players he thought played well um, in, in the game. So obviously pretty damning for the other the other seven and the substitutes. But we'll come on to Klopp later because I, I really do want to get into that and you make some good points there. But um, let's. this is really almost the definition of a game of two halves, this one. Um, the, the contrast, I think, was, was stark, even if I don't think Liverpool were amazing first half i mean you mentioned the kind of counter-attack elements i didn't really see it as counter it felt a bit like that but to me it was sort of like city were, were pushing up so aggressively and we, when we were trying to play out from the back that they were leaving a lot of space in behind and if we kind of beat that press then we were able to kind of get the ball into space in behind and obviously you had um salah was often the one uh, running onto it um which I think was was a fairly good attacking game plan. I think there were too many times when we couldn't play out from the back and, and maybe we missed Thiago in that regard. Um, so, so I'm really there thinking at half-time, let's eliminate the bad, which is the amount of times where we're kind of giving the ball up in our own final third where we're having to hoof it downfield. You know, let, let's try and retain possession a bit better playing out from the back and then we can kind of really exploit the kind of space that they're leaving us. And, and that's why I was hopeful for the second half, if, if we could kind of make those tweaks and um, and, and iron those issues out. But yeah, obviously then a disastrous start to it. But let's, yeah, so if we just t- talk about that first half, I mean, you know, I think generally the feeling was, obviously City, I'd say, were fairly dominant, but I think the, generally the feeling was pretty decent at half-time. Yeah, it was competitive. Um, <laughs> it was a little bit... Um, uneasy to watch in terms of the playing out from the back just because <clears throat> playing out from the back against most of the teams is very different to playing out from the back against Manchester City. I've said it for years that the way Manchester City press, I feel, is unique because as you move the ball forward, they they stand still in that you have to play around them. It, 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 it's really, it's, it's a difficult one to kind of describe, but they don't move back at times because they know that they're that good when they press up that they'll flummox teams into thinking how how do we get round City and then by the time it gets to the significant part of the midfield they will push up and, and win the ball back and of course the you know it, it it's interesting watching uh, playing out from the back in that you when a goal gets scored for example you you wonder how many passes took part in the play and that and I, you know. Salah's goal was a good goal, playing out from the back, ball over the top, well-timed run, and ultimately a brilliant finish. And yeah. you know he, he, he's shown time and time again that he can do that in the big games. Um, the more you think about it, potentially that it, it was a turning point when when Jack Grealish tracked back, and you know, I'm sure we'll mention his second half display. But overall, you know, I, I, a bit like that what Darren Fletcher said, I can't claim to have seen every City game in, in the world ever, but. It, it struck me as probably his best game for them since since he arrived from Aston Villa. Um, and then, what what frustrated me? And I don't know the word positives from the first half. The, the wings 
where from the outset, Mares and Grealish were tormentors in chief. They were superb on the flanks. And we'd probably risk sound like a bit of a broken record um, if we were to mention one or two individuals um, that, that we've mentioned on previous podcasts. But just, just a brief mention about Trent Alexander-Arnold, because I don't want to go into that too much. But I, I, I've kind of thought his main issue against wingers was wingers with pace, given that he's not the quickest fullback in the world. But again, his, his attacking outlet is what Liverpool you want to utilise him for. Jack Grealish is not particularly fast. He's quick, but he, he's not like Vinicius fast, for example. He's just technically good. And I thought he had Trent on strings yesterday to be honest. And it was extremely concerning because the amount of times that didn't result in goals where you just, you, you question the positional awareness of him maybe not even knowing where Jack Grealish was was quite a concern. And that that's also where the first goal ultimately kind of came from, wasn't it? Not knowing who's behind him on the wings. Letting the ball go through his legs as well. I know while trying to make the block and, and Alvarez scoring. And by the way, I think before the game, when, when we see Haaland not in, You've got to acknowledge that Manchester City have a World Cup winning striker as a backup yeah. as well. Mm. So that's hardly a bad replacement. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it was, a, it was a strange watch the first half, but Liverpool had opportunities that they didn't make the most of. And you went into, you went into halftime thinking, right, more of the same, and, and there could be something to come from this. And, you know, I completely agree on Alvarez. I mean, he scored, that was his 13th goal yesterday. And I think Nunez has got 14. So... You know, you are right, and it's certainly something before the game that I was like, you could even have argued that the absence of of Foden was was bigger in a weird way, given that how he tends to play against Liverpool and how good, like you say, Alvarez has been and definitely played very well yesterday. Um, looks like the perfect backup option for them. But the second half, I mean, we talked a bit about the attitude already. Probably maybe a bit more to say on that, but also the defending. I mean, how many of those goals were from cutbacks into the box or, or sort of low crosses? I don't know if it was all if it was three or all four of them, but um, yeah, it was just a horror show. I saw a start as well saying how good Van Dijk was in the first half because I do think he was good in the first half, hmm. but in the second half, I don't think there's anybody from a defensive aspect that can take any credit apart from. You know, I, I think Allison tends to be coming out from most games with, with the main bit of credit for Liverpool at the moment. Um, and again, you could argue if you're being overly critical, could you have got to the Mahrez cross? Possibly, because I do think it, he had the opportunity to get there before De Bruyne. But again, what Alvarez did, what Alvarez does, I think the Haaland doesn't do a little bit in terms of his involvement for the game involvement in the play. I'm not sure Haaland could play the pass mm. that Alvarez did to Mahrez. Yeah. Um, and that it was a brilliant ball. And Riyad Mahrez as well, it's, it's it's a strange one in that whenever a player gets into incredible form, Pep and his rotation policy just seem to think, right, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you don't get too ahead of yourself on a bench for a few weeks because Mahrez was absolutely incredible a couple of months ago and then found himself on the bench for, for Foden who hadn't seen the light of day since since he scored a hat-trick against Manchester United. Um, but Mares is a world-class talent and, and put on the plate for De Bruyne. And then you mentioned the, you mentioned the cutbacks. I think City are one of the best in the world for that in terms of getting to the byline, cutting it back. 
I mean, the, the cutback for the cutback for Grealish's goal. I've I've watched it again. Bruyne looks into the box, but he knows in his head he doesn't need to look for Grealish because he does play into the path because he knows Grealish is going to make the run. And again, you, you look, and I'm just taking this goal in isolation because I'm sure that the you know that there were many aspects from from several different players, but Grealish plays the pass to De Bruyne. It, it returns to Grealish. The difference, if you look at because Grealish has to run past Alexander-Arnold to get to the finish. Where mm. Trent then is when Grealish finishes it, I think that was just a sign of just how the, de- the legs had gone in terms of the defensive determination. Mm. All round, all round, I'm saying that now. Um, and it was just incredibly frustrating. And the way, the way say, even the third fell to Gundogan, good teams will ill fall to you in times like that when, when you're in good form yeah. and maybe, maybe it won't fall the same way for Liverpool. Um, but the you know I may have mentioned the counter attacking in the first half, but that was completely out of the window. Really, in the second, and it was kind of my hope when Nunez came on in particular that he could get involved in that aspect. But hardly had a kick. With, with with all due respect to the guy, yeah, and we had four shots in the entire game. Yeah. Um, so I mean that's got to be. Still more I than be surprised. Though. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if that's um, the the uh, yeah a bit of a certainly a low point against Man City, but um. Because, I mean, you're looking at that four shots as what sort of, yeah, seeing mid-table teams would be able to muster that even at the at the Etihad, I think. Um, to be fair, we're, we're closing in on mid-table. but um, <laughs> So, I mean, the second half, I mean, defending-wise, like, there are loads of individual moments you can pick out. I think the main problems are, and I think Klopp said it, just passive, really. It's sort of reacting to what City do rather than yeah. anticipating it. And you're up against an, a team that is so surgical and so precise, like you say, has all these really sort of um, devastating rehearsed patterns that they employ better than anybody else. Probably they do that. Um, and it looked like we weren't aware of what they were and um, whether they, they'd not been spotted, whether they'd not just been implemented. I, I probably think it, it's the latter out, out, out of those two. Um, and every time I watch us against City, I just feel this kind of frustration because every other team, they try and play ambitious passes and they don't come off. And there's like, you know, there's a few passes that go astray during the course of a game and you can use it. And this, this Man City team, they never ever seem to misplace a pass. And I think we probably underestimate how exhausting it that makes yeah. to play them. And obviously the, the Alvarez ball, I mean, like, like you say, is um, probably a prime example of that. I think, so just, yeah, just the, the passivity and, and the inability to track runners. Really, yeah, um, with the kind of things that, that that stood out, and I think you know, there's a lot of times where you see us sort of, you see situations where the city player has kind of no right to to get through, no, no right to be able to pick the pass or get the shot off, given the presence that we have. But they they just they just do, um, and, yeah. and, that, and that's when we do we do manage to track them. So I think it was just sort of comprehensively weak across the board. And there's another thing I want to say, second half wise, is. This team has been so sloppy this season, like un- unbelievably, like the lack of technical ability, basic technical ability at times has been infuriating. And I think in terms of being a consistent team, maybe a little bit overlooked. And I don't know if it's because of, um, you know, the lack of the midfield reinforcements. You know, you're playing players who don't necessarily have that in their locker in midfield, but 
I think the moment that sums it up, that game, is I think there's a poor clearance from City. It falls right to Fabinho, and he has quite a simple header, which I think he tries to aim at Alexander-Arnold. And I, I think this might be for the second goal. Um, and then we just give it back to them, and within a few seconds, it's in the net. And yeah. you're just like, if you're going to make basic mistakes in games, I think, obviously, you're handing the, the, the ball back to your position. You're making your task hard. But I also think you're increasing the kind of frustration levels and, and sort of sloppiness can be kind of self-perpetuating in a way, I think, because yeah. you sort of end up sort of dragging yourself into the habits of it um, and, you know, losing a bit of your composure. And yeah, it's been, our games have just been really messy to watch at times. I think we, we saw um, a sequence, I think when we had the Bournemouth podcast, talked about a sequence on there as well. Um, so, so that's just been bizarre that that's deserted us. And yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I don't know whether it's a lack of, Midfield protection. I mean, at this stage, you know, I mean, even when when it is getting kind of into that final third and you bypass that midfield, it's like you know the the individuals that in the back four aren't defending well enough either. I mean, it's it's totally across the board. I, I I think the weaknesses and it's sort of a game that makes you think how much can Luis Diaz solve the problems? Because, you know, you put him into the well, match yeah. yesterday. I don't think anything changes. I mean, on the subject of that, in terms of what, what might have changed, one thing we should mention is, um, obviously, the the red... I mean, Rodri should have been sent I, off. Yeah, I, but I, how, I was... Yeah. But how damning is it that you've got pretty much everybody agreeing that if City had gone down to 10 men, they probably still would have won the match? Quite possibly, because what I was I was going to mention the flip side of it. I was going to mention Gakpo's first half display because I thought in the false nine element, I thought he did quite well because I thought he was good on the half turn, was able to drive, um, and that was just an element that got completely lost from the, from the start of the second half in terms of getting him on that ball in that mm. area and driving. Because look, I I said it um, at the time. That it happened um, to a few friends that if he hadn't been on a yellow card, he'd have got one. Yeah. And I, it's a really frustrating. It'd be interesting to talk to referees, to be honest with you, and see how they react to that kind of statement. Because the whole if he's not on a yellow, if he wasn't on a yellow card, he'd got one. Well, why isn't he getting one? Because he's on a yellow. Yeah. Ultimately, he stopped the breakaway. I don't. I don't. I don't care. You've been booked. A minute beforehand, it, it, it's a bookable offense. It's a bookable offense, hmm. and if it meant a red card, it meant a red card. But <laughs> what you mean? Um, I think well, City went down to ten men against Fulham in the first half. Um, in the first half of the season, and still won the game. Uh, yeah. Stopped his time with a Harlem penalty. But again, yeah, the, if, if you took as good as Rodriguez, I think you'd be talking about that team yesterday and didn't replace him with anyone. Put them down to ten men. I don't think. I don't know how much of a difference it would have made, but there was one player in particular from City I just wanted to mention with regards to when you say about their rehearsed patterns. John Stones started at right back, and I saw this against Leipzig as well. Started yeah. at right back. The man ends up at right centre mid, left centre mid, right wing, mm. <laughs> centre forward. But that's just how City have those. They've got these individuals that can just overload everywhere. And yeah. Liverpool probably once upon a time did, did have that, but mm. it's. Now, you know, we talk about the rebuild, but it, it's an element that's been lost in Liverpool this season. You know, you look at the tactical battles that these two managers have had down the years, and I think, unfortunately, yeah. with the state of this squad right now, Klopp doesn't doesn't really feel like Klopp can even 
go toe to toe with Guardiola. Maybe that's being too kind, but we'll come on to Klopp um, in a second, I suppose. But yeah, just uh, inherently, uh, inherently painful day. And uh, you know, you've got. I mean, the, the second half. I mean, you know the all the all the jeering. You know, I think there was the chance of you know getting sacked in the morning. Um, you know, the Ole in of the passes. I mean, I think it's weird. You know. City aren't one of our biggest rivals in terms of, you know, the feeling, but, you know, given how close we've been to them down the years, it was extra sort of chastened to kind of for the match to end up the way it did. Um, and one thing we should say as well, that I think um, Chloe mentioned it on Twitter, the the, the volume and breadth of the um, always the victims chance in that game, really disturbing to be fair. But, um, and, you know, and we also saw, I think there was, there was something thrown at the Liverpool bus, wasn't there? So I think City yeah. have had to put out two statements after the game, um, condemning those. So obviously, uh, pretty uh, horrific uh, that as well. You'd have to say, but anyway, um, we're going to move on in a second to, um, to to Klopp and and his role because I think there's been some interesting discussion about that, and then we'll finish by previewing the Chelsea game. But if you are enjoying this episode, let me remind you to please um, give us a five-star review on Spotify or a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It, it's really quick, but it, it makes the world of difference to us. Um, and yeah, you can also follow the podcast and press the notification button so you get notified and it appears in your feed. But yeah, like I say, Chris, let's talk about Klopp because I just had this thought during the game yesterday that any other manager overseeing this run of form from the team I'm not just obviously the last couple of games, but over the season as a whole. And and not just that, overseeing the attitude of the players, overseeing, you know, I mean, the comments that, that he makes after the game, like you say, is kind of end of days manager talk, weirdly. And there's obviously no prospect of that, but any other manager, really. And and it's possible that I, that is literally true, that any single other manager um, in another post, in a comparable situation, would have been sacked by now. And I'm not saying was... I'm not saying he, he should be. Yeah. Let me just clarify. No, I'm just no. saying like that does sort of paint a pretty damning picture at the same time. I mean, just just compared to Julian Nagelsmann. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, getting sacked a point off top, and you know, senior successor oversee a four-two day classical win. Um, but you know, I think it's it's a conversation. That needs to be had because I, I I don't think you've made any wrong points there. Um, I've just I've just named one manager there that was sacked for what a lot of other teams would would gladly take. Um, and I I think as I mentioned earlier, you see you're seeing the frustration kind of boil over a couple of years ago when when everything was going badly and um, you know we, we saw Klopp a bit broken, but there was so much going on in his life. And your heart bled for him. It, it really did. And he did so well to recover from that. Um, he's, he's done ridiculous work at Liverpool mm. Football Club. And I, I agree with you that there's no need to discuss the changing of the guard or, or anything like that. But what we are seeing is a man who I'm not sure knows the answers to the questions being posed right now. And mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say, especially with the current qu- uh, quota of players. Yeah. Um, because 
again with with, with the midfield um, and the defending. The the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results. And I feel like there's a bit of an element at the moment, but there isn't. There aren't the people. There aren't the, the players, the personnel to to make those changes to freshen it up. Um, and that that is that is quite a concern because it's so easy to bypass midfield, and of course Jurgen Klopp's not telling the midfield to let them be bypassed uh, and everything like that. But um, it, it's it's it, it, it's such it's such a concern, and I think it, it'll be very interesting to see him on on, on Monday talk ahead of Chelsea um, yeah. because I'm sure post match he's feeling so many raw emotions on Monday he'll be a bit more considered and 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 we'll hear free Chelsea in terms of how he approaches that but uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling sorry for him because he can't change anything right now and we're now hearing him openly admit that a summer of change is needed yeah so whether that has some sort of impact on, on the individuals I'm, I'm I'm not sure because of course they'll know it's not good enough. And then when they hear the manager saying, look, when he changes, they're thinking, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Um, so it, it, it's probably toughest spell of his Liverpool career, given that in 2021, there were so many injuries to defenders. Yeah. But now, barring one or two, it's pretty much a full hand. And I so, think, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think come the end of the season, we'll, we'll have to kind of, Think about how Klopp's performed really over the course of the campaign. I mean, you mentioned there about not being able to find the solutions. You know, it's April now. Um, yeah. It yeah. doesn't look like those are forthcoming, unfortunately. The reality is it looks like as much as you can mention all the volume of injuries that we've had, the highest in the league, you can mention obviously the lack of investment down the years. You know, it still feels as if the ceiling of this team should be much higher or, or even the basement of this team. It, like, it feels like it shouldn't be kind of a the prospect of, of Europa League football, really, um, in spite of that. And he hasn't been able to find uh, any sort of lasting solution. And, you know, he isn't immune from criticism for that. Um, the thing I think we'd all say is, you know, give him the chance to, with the transfer window in the summer, he's earned the right to have kind of th- those additions made and and to prove that he can take the squad back to the top and I don't have any doubt that he can do that um but obviously he, he is probably under quite a lot of pressure probably more, more pressure than he's been at any point in terms of there's no immediate risk of him losing his job but if there isn't a big improvement next season then you know maybe that is a conversation that that, that, that does start to be had and that's just a, the reality of football and you know I look at Spurs and Pochettino and stuff, and maybe um, he'll end up going back there um, at some stage. But and that makes me think, you know, I'd rather rebuild, you know, you know, change the squad, not the manager kind of thing, and and try and and try and go again because I think you know you worry about the long term repercussions of of being a bit rash based on based on one poor season and and what has largely been kind of the best era in Liverpool's modern history. So um, it's difficult because. Any other situation, you'd look at it and think that these players have stopped playing for the manager. Um, but it's hard to kind of think that that's the kick, given the kind of what Klopp's done for so many of these players, given how they run run through brick, brick walls from for years. But equally, there is seemingly a disconnect there. So definitely a um, a puzzling situation with we're, we're no closer to really 
to put it together, I'd say. Um, top four wise, our next game is against Chelsea away. Um, in in the Premier League, we're recording this before Newcastle play Man United, so we probably need Man United to do us a favour there. I mean that that we don't lose any any ground on them certainly, and then maybe a favour from Everton on a so our two our two biggest rivals really in the next couple of days, um, and then we play Chelsea away. And I think you know the the thing to kind of say is, as much as we don't have much room for error, City away shouldn't be the defining factor in, in a top four race. The problem is we struggled so much against the lesser teams. We've actually been doing relatively okay against the bigger teams up to that stage. Um, and I think obviously the attitude and the performance um, mean that you can't really just write this one off, unfortunately, and move on um, as much as normally teams in a top four race might actually do that um, when they're going away to Man City. But yeah, it's Chelsea next. And Chris, I'd like to know what you do with the team for this one. But also, we're in a bizarre situation here where We've got Liverpool um, eighth in the Premier League. God, I've not looked at the table until now. <laughs> eighth in the Premier when you League. Said you, when you said you were a league, I was thinking, have you missed the word yeah, conference out of that? That's true, yeah. Um, that's obviously a prospect <clears> too. But And then Chelsea, 11th. You know, incredible at this stage of the season for those two teams to be in those positions. And Chelsea almost in that role of making Liverpool fans feel better about their own season, losing um, 2-0 to Aston Villa yesterday. So so how do you see that, that kind of... Um, matchup between these two kind of teams who've had the fall from grace and uh, and what would you do differently with the lineup? Let's also say that at this time we're previewing a game against the, uh, against the Graham Potter Chelsea <laughs> at the time of recording because uh, who knows what, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, who knows what could happen before Tuesday, you know, I know, I know, I know it's unlikely but Chelsea have given such backing to Graham Potter publicly as well, haven't they? Yeah, the dreaded votes of confidence. Yeah. Um, but Chelsea yesterday against Aston Villa, Brighton under Potter got a reputation for XGFC, didn't they? Mm. Um, and I think at one point yesterday, Chelsea had a 2.22 XG against Villa's 0.88. Was it at 27 shots they had in the game? Yeah, think 27. So. <clears throat> um, but. Um, I mean, McGinn's goal's ridiculous. <laughs> I think they said in commentary, it's just a hardly hit pass. But the way it whips into the corner is a sensational finish. And I heard, apparently, there was a quote from Potter after the game where he said that McGinn's goal wasn't really a big chance. Now, that to me means correct because he's just hit it from outside the box. So you're not going to call it a big chance. But that to me strikes of a manager that really is feeling it at the moment mm. in terms of being up against it. And we don't know how many of these January signings were his doing or his say. Uh, we don't know how many Todd, uh, Todd Bowley just looked at and thought, right, I want you, you're coming in. Mm. Um, and it's an intriguing season for Chelsea overall because would they be in a better position with Tuchel in charge? I feel they probably would. Yeah, I'd say so. To be honest. Mm. Um much I better think, position as well, potentially, yeah, you know. With, yeah, the, with the, yeah. we, the, the weakness of this top four race, Chelsea should definitely be in there. Yeah, given that they will be 11th as well. Because uh, I think it's an eight-point gap to, to 12th uh, at Palace, um, as, um, as things stand. Yeah, it is, yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, it, it, it's it's such a strange season for Chelsea. I mean, I remember they finished 10th the season after they won the title in... Uh, uh, when well, they finished 10th in 2015-16, the year yeah. after they won the title. Um but 
I was thinking about it yesterday and I thought Chelsea are so bad at times here, but then you remember then I remembered what happened a couple of hours previously. Um and again I kind of going back to about you know doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I think I I'm almost expecting Nunez to come in now. Yeah. Uh, for on, on, on Tuesday. Um and this isn't uh, this isn't a, a slight of Diogo Jota, and I know we got the assist for Salah with it. You know, a great run from from deep and, and laid it off for Salah, but yeah, he's just looked so off it at times. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm a big fan of Diogo Jota, but it's now best part of a year. It's it's coming up to a year since his last Liverpool yeah. goal. So if that, he doesn't that, score this week, I think it yeah. will be yeah. Yeah, so that that and I know he's had injuries, but that is still a concern nonetheless. It's about thirty appearances, yeah. I yeah, you know, for a forward who's signed a, a long-term contract in the summer, it's it's not what you expect, is it? Mm. Um, and I'm expecting Diaz to be on the bench. Uh, I was disappointed he wasn't in the squad at all. Yeah, uh, yesterday after the whole uh, international break of. About yeah. six, about sixty different updates of Diaz back yeah. in training, and then he's not even not even in the squad. Yeah, that it, it surprised me that when it was the first thing Klopp said uh, in, yeah. in the press conference. But nevertheless, that they're the two um, that I hope certainly will happen. Nunez actually into the starting eleven, Diaz on the bench, and because the whole point of the amount of forwards now is to think right, you don't need to throw Luis Diaz in there and potentially risk a, a reoccurrence of any injury. Um, you see, the, the the thing is, I think the back five, including Allison, the back five yeah. right now is Liverpool's best back five. Mm. So I don't. It, it, it it's frustrating to say I wouldn't necessarily bring anyone in or take anyone out because I don't know who I'd bring in in place of. Um. So you, then you look at the midfield. Fabinho now has to play, given Bessetic's injury. Yeah. So that that's that's something that's pretty immovable. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain is leaving in the summer Naby Keita of course is injured brackets again hmm. um, Harvey Elliott I'll continue to back but he does. He didn't back Trent up enough yesterday and that, that, that was a big concern And I, yeah. I, he needs to nail down a position as well because we need to know as fans what Harvey Elliott's main position is because I think hmm. it's right centre mid but then you'll see performances like that and there's not enough. There's not enough work coming backwards, so it it, it it sounds strange to say that after a four-one defeat, in my head, there's only one change I'd make, but that perhaps emphasizes the lack of options. Yeah, I was actually just about to say we don't have the the fact that you don't have the scope for changes, and it's weird because I think you know they mentioned in the commentary yesterday how how good the bench looked, but it's kind of in a bit of an illusion, really, given how many of those are actually compelling. I think obviously Nunez, but then. You know, I think for me, no, he, he could come in, but has he been? He's not been really done anything inspiring when he when he when he's come on recently to, to kind of make that case. So it will almost be changes for changes' sake. But anyway, we will we'll leave it there, and we'll be back after that Chelsea game to see how that one plays out. Um, you, Randy, you can watch these podcasts on YouTube. So if you are watching us in video form, please like the video and leave a comment with your thoughts. Um, and you can subscribe to the channel as well, please. That would be much appreciated. And yet, remember that we do have an email address, which is redsummerstrictedpodcast at gmail.com, where you can let us know your sort of thoughts on this Liverpool season or any feedback about the podcast itself. Any questions like that will be 
I'm more than happy to receive and answer those. So yeah, until midweek after that Chelsea game, take care and try and forget about this one.